it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? Well, here we are. It is Pink Elephant with Chris Adams, but not just with Chris Adams today. We have one of, honestly, a mentor, a friend, a confidant in many ways, someone that I text with random memes, a guy that's been a part of my life, honestly, for, yeah, right, it's been, what, 20, 25? Long. It's been a long time. Almost, almost 30 yeah. years, probably. Yeah. God, I'm getting old. I'm getting old, but I do have Brian Sanders with me. Today. Our friendships longer has been lasted longer than some people's marriages, you know. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> you know what, Ryan, that <laughs> that hurts a little bit, but yeah, you're right. I wasn't um, referring to anybody on this podcast. You see, there I you go, that. taking stuff all personal right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. I know. Right out of the gate. Um by the Brian way, why Sanders is this called executive. pink? Why is this called pink elephant? I'm just going to interrupt. Why is this why called is pink elephant? So when I first started in hospitality, I didn't know anything about it. Like I didn't, I mean, you, you knew my previous life of music was, I thought I was going to do that my, my entire life and stumbled into hospitality, didn't know anything about it. And the general manager of the hotel that I was working at at the time, uh, it was a Ritz Carlton. He looked at me, he said, look, man, I'm going to explain Ritz Carlton to you really simply. He says, if the guest wants a pink elephant, get the guest a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest it's an elephant. And it was one of those moments for me that I went, I get it. Like I understand hospitality and what my goal was, what my role was, I guess, at this hotel. And that has just stuck with me. And it's turned into, we do this huge workshop called the psychology of hospitality. Hmm. And people call it the pink elephant because there's this whole piece that I talk about that. Right. And it's just, it's now been intertwined within our company so okay All there right. you go i ask you well you can go can back i finish to introducing you now you can, you can go but yes i apologize no go hey ahead. you know i'm oh. hey i'm here for you i'm here for you so whatever i can do to make you happy brian sanders executive vice president of are you evp of spirit fm or or is it par positive alternative radio par yes sir. positive alternative par fm as again uh best-selling author which I am proud to say, uh, I've, I've read your books Thank um, you, and just really a, a leadership guru. And, and for me, a staple in my Let's all sit back journey. and consider you just called me a leadership guru. Let's just all sit with that for a moment and let's all be very afraid. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> very you know um, to each their own of what you, what you get from others. And you have, I understand. you've made a positive impact on my life, sir. So, well, that wasn't hard but, to do. Yeah, that's actually valid. You told me before we got on here we could be snarky since we have a long friendship. So you are. there you go. It's working. It's working yeah, so far. And so, listen, I'm going to get hit here a few times too. So go ahead. I'm, I'm not going to do it. At least not yet. Oh. I haven't had any alcohol yet today. So. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> What's holding you back? What time is it there? Yeah. Noon? I know. You're, you're behind yeah, schedule. I am drinking tea. Still drinking tea. Oh, okay. Mm. So you introduced me to the concept of leadership, right? I grew up, my dad was a psychologist. He was big on leadership. When I was a kid, like I lived in his house. I didn't really understand what he was necessarily doing outside the, outside the house, house and that element. 
And then I, I worked with you for you and you introduced me to the concept of leadership. And it was, it completely changed and revolutionized the way my, I thought I wasn't good at it necessarily in the beginning, but I understood what my, what I, what I was trying to do. I mean, that was the, the foundation and building blocks, I think, to help get us where we are today. I remember you're the one that introduced me to the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. That was, that was my, I mean, I hate to say it, that was my Bible, man. I mean, that was it from a leadership standpoint. I still think it's one of the yeah. best leadership books ever. Written. I agree. So I agree. What, when was it for you that, that you felt that leadership was such a, a vital part to an organization? Was there a turn? Like, was there a moment? Was there somebody that you had met that did that for you? I'd say my dad, watching dad lead, uh, in the air force, watching dad lead, uh, at this plant he worked at and that kind of stuff, seeing that and then getting into different organizations and you could see how things could be better, but there was no way that in the seat I was in, I could make it better. I mean, it's kind of like pushing a rope uphill. It's just, I mean, you're, you, you're just not in the right seat to make this thing happen. That was it for me. And I grew frustrated. I'm like, I, I need to go somewhere. And this was a huge risk for me. I need to go somewhere and see if I can lead. Am I just a guy who can spot problems? Because we're all pretty good at that. Or am I a guy who I see the problem, but I also, I think I have a way to, you know, a way to fix this. And so that was seen, kind of it for me. In our industry and in, in hospitality specifically, and now we're, we're kind of expanding even beyond hospitality and what we do. Labor's a huge issue, right? It's a huge talking point everywhere that just no one has team members. And one of the things that I believe is a reason why we are struggling to find people that want to work in whatever field is or whatever company you work for comes back to culture. And I, I've said this a few times, and I think this goes back to leadership, but I believe that we have companies do a great job of creating culture. Right, you go to any company and they can tell you their pillars and this is our standards and this is right. right? They give you all the, the, the beautiful buzzwords okay. of who they are, but they really struggle with the cultivation of that culture. Yeah, and I think living it out. That yeah, and I, I think that we're at a time where people are looking for something more than than a, they're looking for to be a part of something bigger than whatever the the title is that they're given for whatever company you have. And I think the lack of true culture of the empathy that people want to feel that you yeah. have for them when they work for you. Yeah. I think a combination of all that stuff, it has people going, look in hospitality. I'll tell you what I believe happened is most people at 11 years old didn't wake up and go, God, I hope one day I could be a server, right? That's a, that's not like you don't wake up. That's <laughs> a, it's not an aspirational thing typically at a, at a young age. And I think that you, you go into hospitality for a number of different reasons, but a lot of people do it while they're doing something else, right? So I, I was a server while I was in school, or it, I did this to get me through college or whatever it might be. And then you wake up at 30 something years old and realize you're, you're still doing that. Now you've been doing it for 15 years and that's become your quote unquote career. Unfortunately, it's an industry that you also, you work nights, you work weekends, you guaranteed to work holidays. The, that's your busiest time. That's when you make your money. And you've got individuals that for 15, 20 years 
work nights, weekends, and holidays. And then out of nowhere, work the world stops. And they go, hey, you can't work anymore. Go home. Yeah. And, and next thing you know, on a Saturday, they're at a barbecue. Uh, because as much as everybody believed that we were locked up at home, people still did that stuff, right? And so next thing you know, they're at a barbecue and they go, well, this is cool. And they go, yeah, we do this every weekend. They go, you guys do this every weekend? And they go, yeah, you're just, you know, you're always working on Saturdays. So it's not something you go to. And then on Thanksgiving or on Christmas, they woke up and they sat across from their grandparents for the first time in 15 years and ate breakfast with them prior to opening gifts. And all these things happen. And they went, what the hell am I doing? What, what, what am I doing in my life? I'm missing out on the things I should be doing for what? And I think that mm. we've really struggled to pull them back because yeah. they realize <clears throat> you're family until I don't need you. And then you're gone, right? You've, what are your you've, hit about, you've hit about five topics and we have one <laughs> hour and I can't be here till like eight o'clock tonight. Um, Topic number one, even in my industry, we have a labor shortage. We've been looking for people for a while. So it is not unique to like any particular thing. Two, it isn't a money issue. It's yeah, a heart agreed. issue. Okay. It's a heart issue. And if you want to get a server back or if you want to hire somebody, First, this is my thing. I rarely hire people who have experience within our, our industry because if they work for somebody else before, I think that they probably taught them the wrong things. And so I don't want to spend the next five years of my life teaching you how to do it right. So is that I want something to hire that you changed post COVID or is that something that you've no, always done? We've, we've always okay. done that. We, we've always okay. done that. Third or fourth, whatever point I'm on here, let me say this. You need to take the mission of your organization. Why does it exist? And link that to the reason why that person breathes. Because if you want that person to get up every single day excited to, to come in there and serve, you, you need to help them see that part of the reason why they're on this planet is, is because of this opportunity here. Now, some people, they will get that and some people won't. And some people will say, well, that's a kind of cultish, isn't it? And I think it's uh, Johnny Yokohama. I, he, he's the guy that did this big fish market up in uh, Seattle. Yeah. 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 He said the people who call culture a cult are usually people who don't have a culture. So if you want a great culture, link a person's, find out why they think they're here and then help them fit into your organization's mission or purpose. That will usually unlock a passion as to why they're here. Post-COVID, I think this place is a mess. Uh, that's, that's what I, let me just say that because we're seeing tremendous turnover and I can't figure it out yet. And I'm going to say this publicly for the first time. I have said this to like my team and I'm going to say this public when's this air. So I can warn people. This is, I'm going to say this public. <laughs> I'll give you a heads up. <laughs> okay. I fear that people may have gotten comfortable. Uh, I'll just say it. 
maybe not working as hard as they did pre-COVID. And now during COVID, I didn't have to work as many shifts. I didn't have to work as many hours. I didn't have to deal with like as many people. I could stay home in my sweatpants, eating bonbon, you know, whatever. And now we want to return to a post-COVID work life. Yeah. And some people, they don't want that. I could be 100% wrong, but for, but, but for right now, that's my best guess. Yeah. And I mean, Thoughts was, on that I for you? Thought, I mean, thoughts on that for you? I wish that we had this magic eight ball that we knew. Like I'm, I'm such a data junkie that I, I, I look for data to give me the answers so I can make good decisions. And I don't know that we have any well, yeah. one metric that we could measure right now that gives us the correct answer. So are you wrong? No. Are you right? Who knows? No. I think there's an element of truth for sure, at least for some. I, I could not agree more that the, the heart piece our ability to find the intersection between passion and purpose is key for anyone that works for you. It's me figuring out what makes them tick and how does that align with who we are as a brand. But I think there, the one other piece of that is important for me is I also have to figure out, I, I believe every person on this planet, regardless of what, what your faith is, I believe everyone was born with a, with natural talents that you don't know why just so-and-so is good at X. I agree. And I think from a leadership perspective, it is my job to figure out how does their passion and their talent align, right? And then once those two align, I've got to then figure out how do I intersect that with the mission of our, our organization. And I think too many people, we live in this world where it's, oh my God, just dream big and go for it. And that's arguably some of the worst advice you could you could give someone, right? I think everyone should dream big and they should go for what they want and like, but I also think you need to get, you need to take a few days and, and go sit in the dark and have some honest conversation with yourself of where does your talent intersect with that passion? And then once you can determine that, then you go figure out how to go after your dreams based on that information that you know. I use an example all the time, B, of, um, do you watch NBA basketball at all? Yeah, a little bit. So the Van Gundy brothers, uh, Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Van Gundy. They were coaches in the league for a long time. Jeff's been a long time analyst and all. And I always use them and I, I don't know anything about them necessarily. I just use them as an example on this and saying that when they were growing up, based on who they are, different things I've heard in interviews that they've done, they potentially were extremely passionate about basketball, right? And it was their dream to play in the NBA. And if they would have listened to someone that said, you know what? You just keep working hard, buddy. You just keep putting in all that effort. You go after your dreams. If that's your passion, you need to fight for it. And I don't care how long they stayed out there on that court until their fingers were bloody shooting. They were not going to make it to the NBA because their talent as a, as a player was never going to align with what they believe their passion was. And I think most people in that situation, they don't make it past whatever level they, they want to. And then boom, their world's over. So now they're just going to do whatever falls in their lap. And that's just, I'm miserable for the rest of my life, wishing that I was doing something else. Versus they went, okay, wait a second. My passion's basketball. My skill set says I'm not going to be an NBA player. How do I align my passion with what I am talented at? And they realize they're phenomenal coaches. They, they see the game differently than others. They, they're able to, to sketch out exactly how it should be played. Well, next thing you know, they become 
insanely talented uh, in in the NBA, but as coaches, as analysts, all these things. So they found a way to intersect their passion alongside their talent with what their mission is in life. And I think if you can do that, and that's that's where you find happiness. That's where money becomes money's a byproduct of something we're doing, right? As long as you yeah. chase it, you'll never catch it. And I think find when you can figure those things find, out, yeah, yeah, that yeah. that's a win. So you said something that was very profound about these people who say, "Dream big and like go for it." And again, I'm all for that. Have a have a big dream, mm-hmm. and then go for it. But somebody needs to prepare you. For the 100 million steps, it's going to take to go for it, and the self doubt, and the and the almost going broke, and the days when you feel like nobody's believing in you, and you're like, I'm going to have to let people go. I mean, you need to sit in the dark, like you said, Chris. Sit in the dark, search your soul, and ask yourself, Do I have the guts to do this? And yeah, and. Most people, does that make any sense? I mean, does that mean, yeah, oh, you're 100% right. And most people aren't willing, everybody wants the final product, no one's willing to go through the journey it takes to get to it, right? Everybody wants the the house, the lifestyle, they just don't want the crap you got to do to get to that point of what it takes. Everybody saw Jordan win, but they never saw him practice all that. Have you read? I mean, obviously, for anybody that that please follow Brian, by the way, on social media, great insights and hilarious as well. But uh, anybody that follows you know you're a huge reader. You you read a book a week, right? So you're every year you give yourself yes. a challenge. Is that right? So yes. 52 yes. books a year, which is great, it's phenomenal. You're the one that taught me to read. You taught me how to read, Brian Sanders. That's uh, not my first grade teacher. It was you at 20 years old? See, you, Jane you Run. taught me how to yeah. You taught me uh, how to be passionate about that and, and what it means. But uh, have you read Tim Grover's book, Winning? Brutally Honest. Yes, I've read it. It is offensively awesome or awesomely offensive. It, yeah. Because he, he is. He, dude, he's so cutthroat. Yes, he's cutthroat. <laughs> he's he's honest. He's real. I'm, I'm not sure I'd have said that like that. But what he's telling you is this is the price you're going to have to pay if you want that kind of success. And yeah, I, I love it. Isn't all puppies and rainbows. No, we have know? mutual friends. We have mutual friends. And I got sent, he sent me that book when it was first coming out. I read it. And there was a part of me growing up, a, a big sports guy and a huge Jordan fan that I was just like, oh, now like I, I'm getting the, the inside scoop on, you know, what made him so great. And then the other side of me is like, oh my God, this dude, he is hard and core, like, like freaking a man. Like at one point I was like, do you, do you ever give hugs? Like, is there, is that ever a, at any point in time? But <laughs> there's something that, that I love. And I talk about it in some of our workshops that always to make it to the NBA or any professional league, you are better than 99% of the rest of the planet. I don't care if, if you're the worst player on the team and sit on the bench and never get in the game, you're still better than everybody else on the planet to make it to the NBA. And the crazy part is the, the gap between somebody that makes it to the NBA and the rest of the planet is pretty far. Like, I don't care how good you are in your backyard. Some guy that you've never heard of that's in the NBA will still <laughs> smoke you if yes. you think you're that. Yes. Guy. Yes. But the thing that's astonishing is the gap between that player and then Jordan or Kobe or LeBron or the greatest of all time, the gap between that player and them 
is even greater. And he talked about the fact that what made them great wasn't what happened on the court. It's what they were doing when no one was watching. Yes. And yes. And that's just, for me, I was like, I get it. Like it's, it's the, are you putting in the work when no one's paying attention and you're not getting accolades and no one's like, Oh, look at you doing this and that you're just saying, I'm going to work harder than everyone else behind the scenes to make yeah. myself that much better. I mean, that's, you was, need to get comfortable. You need to be comfortable with not being thanked, not being praised to, to be the dumbest person in the room. Surround yourself with smart people who are brilliant and be willing to sit there and act stupid so that they come up with even better ideas. Constantly train yourself. Be just, just be learning so that yeah. you can figure out what those, yeah. I mean, great book again, awesomely offensive is I, I just, uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. There great, was great book. There was no, let's, there was no, uh, you know what? Let's edit that down to a little soft. No, like, nothing oh, like no, nothing. <laughs> I mean, like you said, you know, does he ever get a hug? I mean, does he need a hug? You know I what know. I'm saying? He, I, I guarantee you, you know, how many wives he been through? I probably shouldn't have said that, but there's that. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to any of those, but, uh, great for anyone that hasn't read it. Tim Grover's book winning. It is a great book. Just be prepared for it. It is, it is aggressive and in your face. And yes. sometimes you need that though. Right. Let's talk about your books. What about them? You have two. Yes, sir. You have one two was now. a great success. One was a grand failure. Uh, one was number one on Amazon. So I did a that book was tour. Leadership Endurance. Leadership Endurance. I did a book tour and we were scheduled with a bunch more dates and then the, and then the pandemic hit. And then my dad passed away and I wrote a book called Be Like Dad, which is 50 stories about leadership from my dad. Tremendous failure. Absolute failure. And uh, that Why do you was say that during, uh, because of the number of copies that it sold. I still got, I mean, so I still got books in a conference room over here. Yeah, but you're just, do you not think that part of that process, you're, you're I think you're gauging success and, and not success by what, by standards of, you know, oh, my publisher says I need to sell X to do it versus sometimes, right. sometimes you need to go through some stuff and put pen to paper as part of the therapy. Yes. To get you where uh, you're that, that's part to be. of what that was. I agree. So, yeah, I loved writing them. I didn't like editing them. I, I find that, look, I've written this. I'm done. Can we move on to the next thing? No, sir. You need to sit down and edit these 400 pages. Uh, no, I'm not. No, mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I, I'm a builder. I want to go on to the next thing. Uh, I enjoyed the touring. I enjoyed speaking. I enjoyed meeting people. That was a blast. I love that. I'm currently working on leadership encouragement, which is just a, it's a lot like the first book and it'll have a bunch of leadership stories in it and, and things like that to help leaders along. So out of, out, out of curiosity, cause you said this word a few times now, and it's extremely important on our side in, in what we do. And I'd love your kind of your take on it. Cause I have my, my own theories, but storytelling. Right. If you read your first book, Leadership Endurance, you have a, a number of phenomenal stories in there. You know, you're a huge Lincoln fan and there's a lot of Lincoln stories in there. And I, I reference them often. And in everything that we do on our side, 
we do a lot of storytelling. And part, some of that is part of the branding and marketing side of our company that, that is helping brand create brands. And how do we help them tell that story? But a lot of it is the way that we've adapted our training at hotels is a lot of storytelling. And why do you think that that term is being thrown around nonstop right now? Storytelling, mm. storytelling. Why do you think it's so important that people are looking for the the, the storytelling side versus uh, here, you know, A, B, C, D, E, here's your bullet points of what to do? I want to use an example that may offend some of your listeners and please just bear with me uh, through this. I guarantee you that millions and millions of people, they could tell you the story of the Good Samaritan, but they probably can't quote Jesus a single verse. That's the power of a story. Stories last longer than principles do. So, if you have a leader that like all he preaches is like this principle and this principle and this, you're going to wear me out. Tell me a story. Give yeah. me a story that like I can hide my heart, keep in my head that because I'll never forget that. And a story usually gives you a model, somebody that you can live like. So that's why I study Lincoln and FDR and Grant and Churchill and you know, and Frederick Douglass and all these other folks, you know, because I need people who failed and who had flaws, but were also just a, just a, just a normal, they were just successful. So what I want to look at is I want to find people because I'm flawed. I screw up. I'm not perfect, but I need somebody that I can follow. who can give me examples. So, so, and their lives are like stories. People love stories. That's why all these whole streaming platforms have just exploded because people have stories and they are attracted to them and they'll go watch them. Does that help answer have your you, question? No, it's, it, it's great. It's great. Starbucks. Have you ever uh, go ahead. No, no, please. I was just, I, okay. I was going to say Starbucks, uh, 20 years ago, you'd buy a cup of coffee and they would tell you the journey of the coffee bean of, of, that coffee you ordered, where it started, where, you know, who, how it was processed, yeah. they would tell you the story, you know, and yeah. that, and, and look how they grew. It yeah, they done okay. Howard, all right. Howard did all right, didn't he? Howard he did, did all right. That guy, he did, he did all right. They, so, so good that they, they said, you know what, come back for round two. Yeah, come back um, for round two. Have you heard of the, the significant objects, the study that they did? No. Significant objects was there was a guy, he decided that he was going to have a garage sale. And so he asked some friends to come over to help him clean up his garage and get ready for the sale. And, you know, typically at a garage sale, there's three buckets. You've got, it's trash. We just need to get rid of it. It's, I'm holding on to it, not selling it. And then the third bucket is, we need to put a price tag on it because we're going to sell it. And he's sitting there and his buddies are helping him distribute in these three buckets. And this one guy grabs this coffee mug that he had in the garage and it was broken. And his friend picked it up and walked it over to the pile of trash. And he freaked out. He's like, dude, what are you doing? And his, his friend's like, bro, I'm throwing away a broken coffee mug. It's time to let go. And in that moment, he realized that that coffee mug had no value to his friend. It was broken. But to him, that coffee mug was given to him by someone very special. It had a story attached to it. And he, he was curious if there was something to it. So he went out and he spent like 800 bucks, I remember right. You can Google 
Google and read about it, but I think it's you spent X number of dollars and went to thrift stores and bought all these tchotchkes, like snow globe and just random stuff. Took pictures of them all, sent them out to creative writers across the nation and said, I'm doing a study. Would you create any story you want around this picture and send it back to me? And they did. And he took those items with their store and he put them on eBay next to exact items without a story. And his items sold for 500% more than everything else. And he turned a few hundred bucks into like $10,000. And it basically talks about the power of a story and how it gives value to whatever it is that you're doing or selling or even you. And, and I talk a lot about in our workshops, what is your story and your ability to understand your story gives you great value, right? To, mm -hmm. to you personally, to you and your organization, but the more that you, and I don't mean that you need to understand your story. So everybody that comes up, I'm, you know, hey, let me tell you, I was bored on a cold night in December. It's more for me, accepting your story, embracing your story, the mm. good, the bad, the ugly, everything you've gone through and saying that my story, that's my book, that, that, that's my value. That that's what I bring mm. to the table. And the more that you can embrace that versus staying versus pushing it away and not wanting to know your story, you start to feel your own value incre increase. And That's then nice. you see yourself walk differently and stand differently. And your charisma when talking to others is different because you understand the value of who you are because your story gives that to you. So it's, I just think storytelling has, you know, you hit the nail on the head with it, it adds value. Like you said, it, it's something that I can remember. It's something people can grab hold of. And so it's interesting to see brands specifically mm. really lean into storytelling. Yeah, I under this is just one thing I'll add to 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 to, to like what you've said is have a story worth sharing. How do I want to say this? Make your story interesting. It doesn't mean that you have to lie. Don't be George Santos from up uh, from up in New York. <laughs> we all have crap in in, in our lives. And if you want to have a compelling story, you're going to have to be a little more open and a little more vulnerable. And whether we like it or not, today's job market, they want authenticity. They don't want a person who sits in a tower on the fifth floor. They want access. They want to see you real. They want to see us succeed. And when you mess up, you need to, to apologize. So craft your story in a way that shows purpose and passion. And this is where we're going to go. And so that's all yeah. I'll say to that. That's, that's good. No, that's uh, Chris to you. Uh, and, uh, and so I want to go back and pick this up. Uh, I'm very proud of you. And yet I'm thankful for you. Uh, whenever we first met and you came to work with us, this has been years ago. You can tell if people have the gift or, or they don't. And you had the gift. Uh, I mean, and yet you still do. And so hats off to you, bro. You have built something. You are helping people feel welcome and loved and embraced with through the hospitality business. Is uh, uh, And that's especially today in a world that is so cold and isolated and divided. So, hey, so, bro, I'm uh, proud of you. I mean, I mean that. No, I appreciate you, that. You have built something uh, just amazing. So no, I appreciate it. It's, you know, it's hospitality is a, 
it's a tough industry, right? It's an industry about heart. It's an industry that you, you care more about everyone else than you do yourself. And we've positioned ourselves, our company obviously is very much a, a lifestyle luxury brand. That's a lot of our clients. And I get asked a lot like luxury, right? Well, Chris, well, you know, you guys only deal with luxury brands. And, and I think there's a misinterpretation of what that is. And I think the reason why we have been able to find success in this is how we interpret luxury. Luxury can happen anywhere. Luxury could happen at Walmart. Luxury can happen at Ritz-Carlton. And what people don't realize is that luxury is not about marble floors and a price tag. Luxury is a feeling. And that's it. Luxury is nothing more than a feeling. Hmm. How you make someone else feel determines how luxury you have made their situation. Right? If, if you grew up in a small town that's you know, got a few hundred people and you've never been to a big city before, you never experienced anything like that. And out of nowhere, they decide that they're going to build this brand spanking new target in the middle of, of this small town that's never seen this. And on day one, you show up just in awe of the massive structure that's there. There's people in these red shirt uniforms, tucked in, looking sharp. And the minute that door opened, there's somebody standing in there that just says, welcome to Target. That's luxury. It makes you feel something. And when, when you look at hospitality, and this is where I think we struggle right now in hospitality, is we're so hung up on the, the P&L attached to it, which is, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. We have to be good stewards and know how to run our business. Oh, but yeah. understand that part of the reason that we're back to our first conversation on why we're struggling with labor and whatnot, it all comes back to the same thing. When I say luxury is a feeling and I'm teaching hotels or, or businesses or brands how to make their guests feel that, right? So when the first time you walk into that store, it's a, it's a feeling, right? There's studies that say that when you walk into a Christian Louboutin or YSL for the first time, that after you swipe your credit card and they give you that bag that has that logo on the side of it for those red bottom shoes, that you physiologically leave differently than you walked in. You stand taller. You just there, There's something that's changed, and that's a feeling that you get. The minute that I don't care what your organization is, it could be par, that when you understand how to make people feel something, it changes everything. The problem is everything that most people think of when I talk about this is how that we make our guests feel something, and they don't understand that luxury feeling I'm talking about you have to do for your internal guest as well. If your internal guest, which is your team, doesn't have the same feeling that you're trying to get them to give to your external customer, it will never work. You've got a honeymoon period until it falls apart. You are building on quicksand. And I think that there is a huge gap and that's that culture piece, man. And we keep going back to it. But when you can, when I can make my team feel that, I always say it's impossible for my team to go out and teach hotels how to do this if I'm not filling their cup, right? You can't pour out something that's empty. So when when they're when we have our internal meetings, when we have all the stuff going on here, I would pray that if you talk to anybody that works for EAG, they will tell you, we I live, eat, and breathe what I say. If you see me on a podcast or you see me on whatever I'm saying is not Sorry. something yes. I'm, I live it. I know you're the same way, but. That's the only way I believe that my team can then go and pour out to others. Huh. Is that, you, you know what I'm saying? A hundred, 100%. I mean, 
how do I want to say this? You can't lead an army into battle if, like, you're afraid of war. You're going to have to embody everything and even spread. Uh, I'm going to use a word here. I'm going to say that you have to be your, your corporate evangelist. You're going to have to convert everybody to have that same feeling. Back to the guy who, who started the uh, Seattle Fish Market, Johnny. Before you ever work with him, you're on a three-month pre-hire. And yet, if you make it through that, you have to take a public oath in front of the rest of the team. And then you become part of that culture, and yet you have to live it. And if you're not living it, well, then they will have a conversation with you. And I think that that's part of, our, of, 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 of the issue here is that if we set expectations, you just can't live it. I mean, you just can't talk about this. you got to live it every single day because your competitors are not resting. My competitors are not resting. So, hey, we're going to take a little hiatus here, and we're not going to make this important. Oh, you do that? They'll, they'll, they, they will waltz in here and take your, your market share. I guess this is what I want us to say. If you as the leader are not all in, your team ain't going to be all in. Passion has a half-life. You as a leader, you're at a level 20. The best you can, for me, then the best I, 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 I can expect from them is, is, is like a 10. So how far can I get on a 10? Do I need to ramp up my passion even more to get them a little bit higher. So it all yeah. rises and falls on, on, on us. So you're 100% right. Yes, sir. You hit something too that I think is beyond important. You said that, you know, you go with Johnny three months, basically process before you're hired. And then you get this publicly, you have to say like, I'm, I'm all in. And then if you're not all in, they're going to have a conversation with you. And I think right there is something that, Human beings struggle with conflict, right? Confrontation. People, most human beings don't like confrontation. There was a book you told me to read, and I have made it a staple. I mean, ask anyone on my team, and they will tell you radical candor. If your organization does not have radical candor, it is only a matter of time before mm. it crumbles. It just... It, and when I say crumble, please understand, you know, there's companies that'll be around for a long time that don't have radical candor, but I think that their ability to flourish and continue to evolve and to, to greatness will struggle. And I, I think that radical candor is beyond necessary and important for your organization yeah. because, I, and the way I explain it is I've got, I got my two daughters, right? And for anyone that either has kids or family members or someone that's important to them, I would I always ask the question, if you see something that someone's doing that you know is going to hurt their future and you care deeply about them, like my daughters, am I going to say something? Well, yeah, of course, Chris, you you, you love. And I'm going to I'm going to say something knowing that I potentially am going to reap uh, take on the wrath of my teenager telling me I'm an idiot and slamming a door, but I'm okay with that. Because I care more about her future than how it makes me feel in that moment. And I said, when you look at your organizations and we have team members that are making decisions and choices that are hurting their future, 
They're doing things that that we know they shouldn't be doing and they know they shouldn't be doing it. And we, we refuse to have tough conversation with them because we don't want conflict. We are essentially telling them that I don't care enough about your future to have this conversation with you. Exactly and right. I refuse to let my team fail, not on my watch. Now, if they come to me and say, this is, I can't go any further and I, I don't want to do this anymore and they choose to walk away, I will support them in any way that I possibly can. But as long as they want to be a part of EAG and they want to live what we believe, I will not let them fail on my watch, which means if we've got to have tough conversations, then we're going to have tough conversations because I love you too much to not do it. Chris is referring to a book by uh, Kim Scott. It's called Radical Candor. Love the book. The person who actually introduced me to to, uh, Candor was Jack Welch, who ran GE for like 30 years. And in my opinion, he has written the best leadership book ever written, and uh, it's called Winning by Jack Welch. Let me allow this. This is real-world stuff here I'm about, I'm about to say. Three times a year as the EVP, I go to every team. This is three times a year. I will cook gumbo for that team. I will warm up the room by talking about successes, and they and they and they start talking to me about that. Hey guys, what 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 have we done in the last four months? You know, a wins, and they start talking. They 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 start sharing, and then we start doing uh, news updates. Okay, what what would you like to know about this area or that area, this area? And, I, and so I sit there and I just answer questions, and then I say this. For the next 90 minutes, you can say whatever it is you want to say, and you will not get fired. You have amnesty. There will not be any retribution whatsoever. You can talk about me, what I say, the words I, you can, is there some policy you, what is, I need to know what the pebble in your shoe is. And this is what I ask. When you go home at night, What is it you complain about regarding your job? I want to know that because I can't fix it if you're not willing to tell me. So I do that with like every team three times a year. And then the leaders who will report to me, they do that once a month with their team because I'm constantly digging for weeds. We got to get these weeds out of here. And so that's a real world way to to like to like actually practice that. You, you are never going to get to a place to where people practice candor every single day. So so you have to set the stage to do it intentionally at certain times. That's just yeah. my example. No, that's good. And I what I always say is you can't have you can't just read this book. It, let's you've got a company. You read this book. You're like you know what. I'm rolling out radical candor tomorrow. Oh, it's, it's going really to blow it up. Right? People are going to be leaving. <laughs> you, People will leave. Yeah. yeah. And I think radical candor works when there's trust. And you have to build trust with your team so That's they know word. when those conversations are happening, you're doing it because you care, not because there's some other ulterior motive. And that only happens on trust. And I think coming out of the pandemic, what's one of the biggest things, if you look at a lot of data that's been out there, People don't trust their company. 
People don't trust the company that they were furloughed from. People don't trust the company that they're at now because they furloughed people that they know that were there previously. There are trust issues at organizations. And you start, yeah, I think you start compiling all these things we've been talking about, man, from culture and leadership and trust and radical candor. You take all these things and you start putting them together and you get a big snowball of stuff that amounts to what's wrong right now and why we're struggling from a labor perspective. And I think just organizations across the board, I don't think there's one thing and it's a lot of things. We're going through a little bit of a transition period here at, uh, at a PAR. And this is a leader's heart. This is my heart. It kills me whenever people leave the organization. Let me say it like this. It kills me when the right people leave. Now, and I take it personal because yeah. this organization is, a, and for me, it's like an extension of me. I built this thing. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? We got 60 employees. You know, we got five different networks across seven, you know, five, six, seven, eight states. And and I take this personal. And so whenever people are leaving, I'll, I have a phone call. I'll go, I'll have a Zoom. I'll say, I'll say, I need to know why. And, I, and I'll yeah. start out like this. I'll be very vulnerable. I'll say, what is it I did wrong as the EVP? And people are shocked. Sometimes they're just like, this is the best place I've ever worked. It's just that y'all expect a lot. And I don't want to have to, people, people have actually said, I don't want to have to work that hard. See you later. Do you think it's important that we make sure that we don't put our expectations that we have of ourselves onto team members that it, it's, we need soldiers sometimes, right? Not, not every single person wants to become the next vice president. Sometimes we have team members that they want to be whatever that position is, and they're phenomenal at it. Do we need to be careful that we don't try to push them to an area that ultimately is going to bring failure when they're great in one role, they're happy in that role? How do we celebrate that without them feeling, without it feeling like to us as the leader that they're just complacent in their position? Does that, does that make sense what I'm saying? It does. I think, uh, I hope I'm going to answer this correctly. A skill set as a leader that you need to have is to be able to spot talent. And after you work with a person for a little while, you, sh you should be able to say, does this person have the gifts? That if Brian were to die tomorrow, they could take my job. That's who I want around me. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's, that's who I want around me. I have sometimes surrounded myself with people who had the gift. I was right. They had the gift. But they, but they didn't want to leave the nest. And you start pushing them to leave the nest, and they fall, and they hit the ground. They fail. And like, this isn't for me. And I'm like, you have the gift. I don't care. What if you had a server? What if you had a server in a, in a restaurant and they are just an absolute rock star as a server? I mean, okay. best of the best. Okay. And they're great with people. All of the team loves them. They're just, I mean, they, if you can replicate them, your entire service staff would just be on fire. 
and you love them so much and you're pushing them because you see how great they are and you want them like, hey, you know what? Have you thought about becoming a manager? We're looking for a new a new position. We want to, people love you. You're phenomenal at what you do. You can help train others and you put them into this role and you do your best to try and mentor them and that they fail in that capacity. So now you've taken someone who was a rock star and they were very happy in their role. They weren't necessarily looking to become the next manager. You mm. pushed them to go into a position that that's not their skill set. So is it not better to keep them in a role, keep them happy, celebrate them, find ways to let them continue to increase where they're at? Why do we have to put them in an elevated position for them to make more money? Can we not find ways to how celebrate you going to find that? I guess my question is, how will you ever find out if they're going to fail if you don't give them the chance? Do you not think that we push them sometimes to go into those roles that they're not asking for? Oh, yeah, I've done that. Right. Because, that, that, because that's more because, of what I'm saying. I got you. Yeah, because Brian knows best. I know, you know, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I just think I, we have to be careful sometimes to make sure that our soldiers are celebrated at being great soldiers if that's what they want to retire doing and not assume that every single person that works for us that's talented is trying to go from from soldier to the next position in the in the army to the next position to ultimately become the general that's not everyone's path and we can't gauge success based on that does that does that that make sense yeah that's that's a very good point yeah that's a i got yes i will wrestle i will live with that for a while. Yeah. And, and I've, and I've really messed up in the past, uh, by like doing that to people and yeah, no, I feel you. And I, I can probably say the exact same thing simply because I want so badly for people to, to be able to grow into these things when sometimes yes. I need to sit back and go, you know what? They're beyond happy in their role. They are the absolute best that we have in that role. And that's uh, this is how I be. think. This is how I think how much happier could they be if they were to spread their because I think everybody should be on my journey. Well, but also this is my job as well, is that if you're a leader, your job is to make more leaders. And so sometimes I can choose wrongly. So that's where I get, you know what I'm saying? So that's, that's where that is. Yeah. I just, for me, the more we grow, the more I have to be careful that you get five employees, 20 uh, team members, a hundred, 200, 500 and go, Am I trying to create 500 leaders or am I making sure that I'm being very disciplined on who they are, where they're going on their journey and clear the path to take them there and not try to direct everyone down the the Chris Adams path of. (laughs) Yeah. I, I guess what I would ask you to do is not make this like an either or because, Mm -hmm. because a rising tide raises all ships. So by that, I mean, is that if I can make everybody better, I think that the organization gets better. Welch taught this. Welch said that you, that you can divide any workforce into like three, three different categories. Your top 20% are your star performers. You never have to motivate them. You just, Hey bro, you're awesome. You're great. Here's an extra 500 bucks just for being, then people will go out and they will storm the just the gates of hell for you. Then there's the middle 70%, which is where you spend most of your time. 
these are people, they, they love their job and, and they have a passion, but you're going to have to motivate them. You're going to have to, to remind them why they're there and work with them. And that's where most of your problem conversations will occur. And then there's the bottom 10%, which like should be fired. And one of the issues yeah. I think, you know, we, we've been talking about is that we are afraid to fire people because, because we actually need people. So like to your point, that top 20%, I'm going to push. I'm going to say, come follow me. I think you have the gift. And yeah. eight out of 10 times I'm right. And, and yet I have a lot of guilt about that whole 20%. So there you go. Yeah. So no, I hear you. Man, I feel like you and I could, uh, we could do these daily uh, well, or hours. Well, I'm up it's for it. Show. I know. The, the Joe Rogan experience of like three hours long podcast. <laughs> just talking about this stuff on until people are like just turning us off. Like, please stop. Hey, hey oh, man, just look. as long. Yeah. I don't care. Just, just as long as they listen some, you know. Exactly. That's it. If one person goes, you know what? I needed that today. Then it was worth it. If nothing else, therapy for myself. So, man, I want to say thanks so much. I, I appreciate you being here, oh. taking time out of your crazy schedule. Thank you, sir. I, I am. I am honored. It. I am so honored, Chris. I am very humbled. Thank you for even thinking of me and uh, asking me questions and reaching out like you do. I, I again, I am so proud of you, and I am very thankful for you. And I hope that, and I pray. Uh, continued success for you so thank you man i, I appreciate yes, that and if people want to grab some of those books that you have over there in the conference oh. room that you said you're sitting on <laughs> where where's the best place that they could follow you or uh, find you there's uh, two you can go to amazon you can look up brian sanders uh, brian sanders leadership endurance you'll you'll find it there or i have a website briansandersauthor.com but you'll usually remember Amazon faster. So you can just go to Amazon and you can find all both of my books there. Thank you. So Man, much. I appreciate it again. Please tell me. Hello. I hope I can I see you guys soon. And, I and uh, she was excited to hear that, 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 that I'd be talking to you and she, she says, hi, Chris, and that she's proud of you as well. Oh, she's the best. So, she's the best. You, I agree. you hit a home run with that one. And I don't, Oh, know I agree. Play. 30 years this year. <laughs> We've been married 30 years. Congrats, right. man. That's awesome. Take care, bro. Well, thanks, Enjoy everybody. Uh, for, thanks, everyone, for watching. I uh, appreciate it. You can find us at uh, www.ellisadamsgroup.com or on Instagram at ellisadamsofficial or myself at chrisadams underscore EAG. Until next week, it has been the Pink Elephant. Chris Adams, we will see you soon. <laughs>